HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. Today is Tuesday, October 20th, 2015. We've got some great guests today, including John LaPola from Bitter and Esters and Jason Saylor from the soon-to-launch Strong Rope Brewery. I'd also like to welcome back our fall guest host, Stephen Vallant. So we're kind of talking about homebrew to pro-brew. It, it comes up a lot, and it seems like now so many of the guys at homebrew clubs are winning awards and, and aspiring to open breweries and it's a very exciting time and steven you're kind of you're looking at it from the front lines with your uh beer kits uh there's a lot of good guys making beer aren't there oh and, yeah and ladies <laughs> yeah yeah a lot of men and women are making beer in their kitchen and uh, thinking about the next step so it's a uh, fantastic watching them grow so we've got you know our esteemed john lapolio from uh bitter and esters who's one of the top you know teachers of making beer Thank in you, the city Thanks and, for having uh, me on, man. Jason, who's uh, was award-winning home brewer, and still is, <laughs> and he's opening his brewery soon. But we give our big shout-out to uh, Union Beer Distributors, supplier of world-class ales and lagers. And if you have questions for our guests, you can tweet us at beer underscore sessions. Maggie's out there tweeting live, or she's supposed to be Maggie, so uh, we'll take it away. So, guys, let's talk about this, homebrew to pro-brew. It's, it, at one time, it would have seemed like you know silly to, to even have this conversation, but there's so many really good homebrewers and, and, and things like clubs and, and your store, Bitter Nesters, and, uh, yep. you know, the number of, like last year, Peter Salmon and his, his buddies won the American Homebrew Award. They won, they won um, Homebrewers of the Year for the AHA. It was, we were really uh, very excited about that. Uh, Peter's brewing at Other Half Brewing now. He's uh, the head brewer there, so that's pretty cool. Uh, we see a lot of uh, homebrewers, they, they get very passionate about the, the – what they do as far as the hobby, and they want to open breweries right away, which is funny. After the second beer, they're like, I'm opening a brewery. 
And I say to him, you know, it's a business, so maybe you should look into business a little bit. But it's uh, great. All the craft breweries nowadays have been opened by homebrewers, people who do it as a hobby to begin with. Uh, I know this guy over to my right, Jason, that's what he did. Yeah. Uh, and now he's opening a brewery. And I've had his beer. His beer is awesome. I can't wait for uh, Strong Rope. Earlier, Steve really and I were cool. talking about there's different, there's different cultures of, of, you know, there's in Germany, what, they have brewing schools and programs. Yeah, exactly. Um, we just got back from Cologne, Germany, and um, traditionally in, in Germany, brewing is is a is a trade more than it is in America, where you learn on the job. Um, you go to school, uh, you spend several years to become a maltster. It's like your first level. You're, and once you're trusted with grain, you can be trusted with brewing, and that's another several years of education. Uh, versus here, where education is really comes with cleaning kegs and just. Uh, really making mistakes so it's a completely different way to approach uh brewing it's, a, it's pretty amazing you always start flipping cakes that's how, how they're gonna get you in a brewery and the brewer couldn't come in brew beer and next thing you know you know you've been working there three months and you're a head brewer that does happen yeah <laughs> it's, certain it, places. it's like everyone's like looking for their big break in america whereas uh, we met tons of uh, we, we did like this food exposition we met tons of uh, people that studied at Weinsteffen, and like whether they did they did they didn't necessarily have a, the passion to to an extent? I mean, there's plenty of people that study at Weinstephan that love beer. I will not deny that. But we met a lot of people who just kind of did this because they it was that or engineering. And we're kind of we might be getting a little bit more of that in America as like brewing schools do open up and people think of craft beer as like a job field. And it uh, but on the other side, we're getting tons of people making beer at home and are are putting their whole life into this. Yeah, I mean, just people, you know, for me, I didn't, haven't worked in a brewery, uh, didn't go to brewing school. It was 12 years of home brewing and perfecting those recipes. And, you know, then it was about three years of planning out the business. You know, in New York, it's a little tougher to, you know, because of the real estate market and trying to find a space. So it might have been quicker someplace else. But for us, it it was a process. It was a long process of really learning the ins and outs of, of what we wanted uh, Strong World Brewery to be and how we wanted it to operate in the New York City market. Uh, and I think a lot of people especially homebrewers like me, uh, are, are looking at that route because you can, especially, you know, we're going to be a two-barrel brewery um, utilizing uh, used equipment from Rockaway and Transmitter. Uh, and I think a lot of people can kind of jump into that kind of homebrew to pro aspects um, a lot easier than it would have been before. So while it's the, you know it's still great to get an education or uh, some experience working in, if you can't do that for whatever reason, then as long as I think if you take the time and effort to understand what it goes into making a business and running a business um, and you make good beer, uh, you hopefully are success- successful. The cool thing about the craft brew movement, too, is that people are doing smaller batches. So you can do almost a homebrew scale, really, just a little bit. You're doing two barrels, which is um, 62 gallons at a time. It's really not a huge amount of beer. Right. So even if something goes wrong, it's not like you lose 10,000 barrels of yeah. beer. And you can learn as you go. And I think what's going to happen with you – let me 
guess your future, Please, uh, is you. as your, your beers are selling, you're going to run out of capacity and you're going to have to up the capacity. This happens with all good breweries. And you're going to be selling that two-barrel system to me, maybe. <laughs> and, um, and you're going to be going up to five or 10-barrel or 20-barrel yeah. system. And, and you see this all the time. We start small and move up. The only one that I know of who didn't do that is Finback. Finback bought big right away, uh, which was great for them that they could do that. Yeah. But uh, everyone else seems to start, like like you said, this is Rockaway's system. Right. And they now have a five-barrel system. John, let's, so. let's talk about your school. Tell us about Bitter and Esters and the kind of classes that you're teaching. So we teach mainly homebrew classes. People are really interested in, in uh, brewing beer nowadays. They, they, they're loving beer. That's what I, I really like about the past five years or ten years or so is that uh, people are, are learning – that there are different types of things to drink and they want to learn more about it. And then when they learn that they can actually make it, then they get very excited about doing it. So we do beginning classes uh, to teach you one class and you learn everything you need to know uh, to brew beer. And then we have advanced classes and all the different ingredients uh, so that you can really hone in on, on what you're doing. We do have a class for uh Breweries, actually, it's a branding class that's happening this Sunday. We have a brander comes in, teaches you how to brand your brew, uh, but you know you're branded already, so or else I would say uh, go to that. But uh, while, and we're also a, a small brewery ourselves, or a brew on premises, so you could come and brew beer at the which store. This is a, a great brewer. So Jason, let's go back to you. So mm-hmm. so award winning home brewer, mm-hmm. and so did you find that the home brew clubs and, and the competitions were, were a good way for you to, to practice and gain recognition? Uh, for for me, it was necessary. Um, you, you know, I you know I joined the homebrew uh, New York City Homebrewers Guild a long time ago, and then kind of branched out and got to other clubs as they started to develop uh, an offshoot from that. Uh, but entering competitions and being part of homebrew clubs and bringing your beer in and getting it, you know, getting it reviewed and and people, you know, getting people's opinions and that type of stuff is, you know, for me was vitally important because I didn't have that you know knowledge base and experience from a commercial brewery so i had to make sure that you know kind of what i was bringing to the table was something that was going to be well received um you know so that i at least had that understanding uh of of you know kind of what what the brewery was going to be um have you ever been to one of our bottle swaps I have not. You should. You should go. That's it. Uh, we do it every first I'm Wednesday sorry. of every month, and uh, homebrewers bring in their beer and uh, pour it for everybody. And you can get really good feedback yeah. uh, from from that. You can get really good and drunk too. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, really a lot of fun to to do that to to actually get together with people and taste their beers. And out of our bottle swaps, an actual homebrew club started called the Bruminaries. And now they are not only part of the swap, but they also do all these experiments and stuff. So it's more education. It's more learning. Uh, what to do and what not to do, and and that sort of thing, where you can yeah. really get that that feedback. Before do you, you think start that in, in America, like the, the homebrew scene, the homebrew clubs, is, is uniquely American? Is this happening? I, I would ask Stephen that. Would <laughs> what would you say? I mean, we're certainly f- uh, far more advanced. Uh, we've you know we have a bit more history uh, right now, and yeah, uh, what used to be you know the New York City Homebrewers uh, Guild. Uh, and a couple other clubs, you now have a club for your specific take on a beer. So if you're a bit more like scientific focused, then there's a club for you. If you're a bit more culinary focused about your, how you brew, there's a club for you. Right. And if you want to just drink beer and talk to brewers, there's something for you too. So what used to be going to a, a club and kind of finding the two or three people in that club that you really um, clicked with, you now have a whole group and a whole uh, forum and 
just just for you and how you approach beer. We get people from other countries come to the store quite often. Uh, Brazilians mainly, Brazilians and Colombians come in, and they have homebrew scenes and they have beer scenes, but. Uh, it's a hard time for them to get ingredients. So when they're visiting New York, a lot it's of times they come to the store. very importing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, some countries are illegal. Japan is illegal to homebrew, but they'll still buy stuff from us and then uh, brew at home. Yeah, so the, so that whole, that or, community doesn't exist, I guess. So there probably isn't so many clubs as, as there are in the uh, United States. Yeah, certainly not. But so you think definitely like the healthy homebrew scene in America is, is one reason why we have so many new... Real smart Absolutely. Breweries. And uh, I don't know if you heard, John Palmer uh, had a petition out to get Charlie Papazian uh, the Nobel Pre- Peace Prize. Did you guys see that? <laughs> uh, there's a petition out to get Charlie, who started the AHA and the uh, um, uh, the, uh, the beer festival. The Joy of Homebrewing. The Joy of, wrote The Joy of Homebrewing. And he said, John said, anywhere he goes in any other country, uh, people are brewing and loving beer, and it's really was started because of Charlie. And he said, "If there's anything more peaceful than that, I don't know what it is." So, so he wanted him to become the that's cool yeah, Nobel Peace Prize. So, Jason, tell us, tell us the path, man. You are award winning home brewer, <laughs> waiting to open your brewery. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like I said, we started. Or I started a brewing about uh, twelve years ago, <clears throat> and just kind of, kind of got into it, and and you know. Probably about uh, when I moved to the city, we started trying to brew five gallons. Uh, we would get some stuff from online, um, and it just had some tough times just in the the size apartments that we were in. I was trying to keep it at a friend's place, and it was just a little, uh, you know, doing a scheduling was kind of tough. So um, my wife, for a uh, present, a uh, wedding present for, for, for me, Ended up getting uh, one of the, the brew shops, uh, little one-gallon kits. Uh, and that was kind of where I'd been brewing for a while at that point, but that was kind of where it reignited and just kind of took off from there. And one gallon quickly turned to three, quickly turned to five. Um, and, you know, soon after, as I was uh, getting into the home brewing, I uh, started entering competitions um, and got some good feedback. Uh, and then ended up winning uh, the judge's choice for one of the first, uh, I think the second Brooklyn Wart uh, competition. Um, and it was just like, you know what, this is this is awesome. This is I, I love sharing the beer. I love talking about beer. I love uh, drinking beer, drinking mm-hmm. beer, the idea of beer. Yeah. Um, Let's toast. What what did you bring us, John? This is <laughs> one of your, we're, we're just drinking all homebrews today, right? Yeah. Well, this is. Um, this is actually kind of a funny beer. A customer had uh, not taken the ingredients that he wanted, <laughs> and so I uh, made a beer with it. So it's kind of, kind of a kitchen sink beer, but I made it with an experimental hop, which is HBC 438. And this hop, um, for every ounce it's sold, they're giving the 100% of the proceeds, uh, this is Hop Union, to uh, Ales for ALS. So I said Ales for, for ALS. ALS. And ALS is Lou Gehrig's disease. It's that whole ice bucket thing. So they're giving all the money that's being that they're making off of this hop to ALS or ALS, and they're asking home brewers for feedback on this. So they usually ask pro brewers to do it. When a hop is has an experimental name like that, HBC four thirty eight, it doesn't have a name yet, and they won't necessarily name it uh, if there isn't good feedback. If people don't want to buy it, I mean, of course. So they usually ask breweries, but now they're asking home brewers. Uh, so we we gave out a lot of these hops to homebrewers to make beer with for a tasting that we're, we're doing um, uh, 
at the end of this month on the 29th. Uh, I know that's one reason you're on the show is to talk about. Oh, I'm always this here event. just to see you. But tell me, that's why I'm here. So the event's coming up. And yeah, on October 29th, uh, we have eight beers that are being poured, each one a different style, with with this hop, with this HBC 438, and that's what we're drinking. We're drinking one of the beers. It's I would call it an English brown, but it's not. It has English yeast and it's brown. Uh, and then it has this HBC 438 as dry hops. So it's a completely unique beer. It's one of the beautiful things about home brewing is that it, it, you don't have to follow anything. Uh, I, I thought it came out pretty good. I, I like the hop itself. It's got a, a nice mint character to it. I think it works well in this. I'm really curious to try um, the other beers. We got the Bruminaries, our homebrew club, to make beers for this event. So if you want to go to this event, all the proceeds from this event also is going to go to Ales for ALS. It's on uh, Thursday, October 29th. It is ten bucks. It's only ten bucks, and we only have fifty tickets. So go to bitterandesters dot com, and uh, you can buy the tickets there. But uh, it's going to be really a lot of fun. You get eight tastes of, of this experimental hop, and then you get a little sheet to fill out to say what you think about it. And we're going to send out the, send the feedback to Hop Union. So it's a, it's kind That's of a pretty fun cool deal. That, yeah. that, that they're working with you guys and home brewers on this experimental hop instead yep. of pro brewers. So that's that's a big change. It is a big change, and it's it's good because I mean the 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 homebrewers can do small batches, and so they can get a lot of different styles and a lot of different beers and get more feedback that way. I mean, with the pro brewers, they can make a beer with it and sell it and get people's feedback that way as well if it sells. Um, but they really want the homebrewers this time. All right, we're we're off to a good start. We're talking about homebrewers becoming pro brewers here on Beer Sessions Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. All right. In 1996, L. Knife & Son acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn, but has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Union Beer has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Kings County, Brooklyn, through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, and Staten Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education on all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the 14 counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We love it out here at Roberta's in, in Bushwick, and uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. But heritageradionetwork.org is a nonprofit. Become a member and, and, and check it out. In fact, we have one of our regular listeners on, Danielle Mock wrote in, and uh, she's on the show, so we'll, we'll introduce you a little later. But if you ever want to come on the show, just just email us at jimmypotsandpans at gmail.com. And, you know, we've, we've had some guests on from Sweden and, and England, and uh, now Danielle's a, a New York City listener. So thanks for coming on. All right. So we're, 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 we've got a, a home brewer who's turned pro. And uh, it's not that big of a story anymore. It seems like that's happening all the time. And I, I Googled it, and there's a lot of people talking about the, the experience. But just tell us your, your, your direct experience. We know you started with a Brooklyn, a Brooklyn brew kit, brew shop kit, right? 
Steven, you got to help me out. Yeah, I mean, I, not to jump in, I, I remember like we met at the Flea like five, maybe six years ago. Yeah, it was when uh, you first started up, I think. Yeah, yeah, and so it's it's it like. I'm really proud of you. <laughs> but we got to fast forward too because you got to come up with some money too. This isn't just like yeah. So you know, you come up with some money. But maybe two years ago, I remember you, at one point I have, I have a back room at Jimmy's Number Forty Three, mm-hmm. and and we were talking about possibly having someone brew in there or doing a restaurant brew license. I talked to you out of that. Yes, <laughs> I went. This is what happened. So this is this is the backstory in this. So Jason was one of the people I talked to about possibly putting a small brewery system in the back of my restaurant. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I, Chris Kuzmi said, "We well, got to take uh, John Lapolio's class, so the, the beer one hundred and one." And basically, I realized all you do all the time is sanitize and clean. Yep. And I was like, I am never having anything to do with the beer the brewery. <laughs> so. <laughs> So, but you obviously must like that stuff, Jason. I, I do. I love cleaning. It's it's my favorite. Um, but no. So, anyways, we <laughs> to fast forward. We you know decided to go pro. You um, didn't want to. You didn't want to put a small brewery in the back of my restaurant. Didn't <laughs> you would have thought you would have been like no, it doesn't work. Some great lambics back there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we searched and searched and had start and stop on spaces and finally found a space in Gowanus uh, this earlier this year um, and hope to be open in about um, a you know month or so. Uh, depending on how the last couple, you know, little bit thing, little things some go. Some licensing things. Some licensing, a little bit of equipment. We're just kind of figuring some last uh, minute things out, but everything is kind of on track at this point. So, um, what's the address exactly? It is five seventy four President Street. And how do we find you on the internet? Brooklyn. Uh, you can find us at strongrobebrewery dot com or strongrobebrewery on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for asking. Um, guys. Your your bar was uh, made by a, a home brewer uh, and friend of ours. Yeah, uh, the, uh, Shannon the, Bowser, right? <laughs> yep, it was uh, made by Shannon Bowser, uh, Brooklyn Slab LLC, uh, and we're getting the the draft system done by uh, Ben Granger, who is a kind of local guru, guru of, of yeah. beer and draft and design and engineering. Um, so yeah, we're we're gonna have a small. It's a small space, you know, relative for uh, breweries. We're only twenty two hundred square feet, um, but and two barrels. <clears throat> But we're really focused on, we're a farm brewery, so we're really focused on using uh, New York State-grown ingredients um, for the hops and the malts, but also a lot of uh, fresh herbs and fruits and spices, all from New York, to really kind of give a very local flair uh, to our beers. And in, you know, in the end, we want Strong Road Brewery to be a place that people can come and drink the beer uh, on premise. So we have a, the tap room. The bar is really nice, and we're going to have a, like, a nice little tap room uh, for people to really uh, come and drink. And at Two Barrels, where that's what we're going to be focusing on, to serve it fresh and direct to customers. So um, I'm, I know you have some uh, thoughts about beer. So one of them, it says you're making living ales. What are living ales? So, living ales. Um, are, we've talked. We've talked to new guys. This guy's yeah. in Hudson Valley. We call the new primitives. They're working with yeast from bees. Right. So, so living ales is a term that is uh, that kind of really, at the most basic sense, represents beers um, that are still living in their in their serving vessels, whether that's bottle conditioned or cask conditioned. Um, and we will be having uh, uh, a number of cask beers, uh, kind of on a permanent rotation. Uh, we just feel, you know, we're going to have full uh, ten regular drafts, uh, but then we're also going to have two or three uh, constantly rotating 
uh, cask beers, uh, and then possible, you know. Okay, so everybody, let's, we're, we're going to ask you some questions. Okay, so you're making yeah. living ales, <clears throat> some cask beers. Now the experts are going to ask you because okay. Well, I'm curious. I know you know farm, you have a lot of information. The farm in the brewery, yours, Jason. So that's that's a unique thing to New York, right? Uh, that the farm brewery license says that you have to use exclusively farm um, New York State ingredients. Correct. Are there any time. other breweries right now that are 100 percent or close to it uh, as transmitter? One, uh, they are they are using it, but they're not 100. percent Big Alice is using it, but they're not 100. percent um, It is a so, tiered system, so over right. I believe until like 2020, you have to use 20, percent and then it, right. it grows. 20, but it sounds like you're yeah. starting at 100. percent We're gonna we're gonna really work and try it. Start at a uh, 100 uh, percent and work with the farms, both the maltsters, uh, the farmers of the hops and the grains, to try to create recipes and utilize their ingredients. Um, for our beers, it might not work for all the specialty malts because the specialty malts are just not quite there yet. They're, they just don't have the capacity. Um, there's only a handful of uh, maltsters uh, currently in production right now in New York State, but it's it's growing um, because of this law. That was the whole idea because of this law, yeah. and I think because there's just more the craft breweries, the demand yeah. is there. Um, so, I, you know, Jason, I wanna, which ones are you, are you buying from? Uh, so we're going to be working with uh, Valley Malt. Uh, we're going to be working with Pioneer Malting, uh, New York Craft Malt. Um, there's also East Coast Malt and Queen City Malting. There's some new ones going to be developing up in the Hudson Valley. I know there's a guy that's trying to start in Long Island. So there's there's a bunch starting to, to pop up, and, and that's the same with the hop farms as well. Sean, I, I- at your homebrew place, are you, do you actually sell any New York State malts or hops for your uh, We occasionally carry New York, um, New York State craft malts. Uh, the hops will get the, – the thing with the hops is they don't – most of the hop uh, farmers don't have pelletizing. So we'll get them during the harvest a lot of times, uh, but we don't uh, we don't normally get them throughout the year. We carry like 35 different uh, varieties of hops, so it's – hard to get all of that and homebrewers are so demanding they want everything and I, I, I thought of something funny before I had asked <laughs> this is funny just the way you said that was yeah funny. well you know they, they're like why don't you have this which is great I mean I love I love my customers but um, we have to get we have to source from wherever we can but I had asked uh, Jason before I said oh have you heard of this HBC 438 hop um, it's for ALS or ALS have you heard of it he goes what? is it from New York and I said no, and he said, "Well, then I haven't heard of it." And I yeah. said, oh, that's I mean, right. I just, yeah, I really haven't. You know, trying to focus on 100 percent New York. Uh, sorry, anyone? And trying you, know, to f- you used to write a, a blog called Sustainable Brew, and it, it was very <laughs> wow, good, good job. Oh no, <laughs> it's like we, I haven't looked at it in a while. <laughs> it's one of those URLs you probably yeah. keep alive now. But yeah. Uh, yeah, you've always been focused. Uh, on yeah, locality all, and sustainability, all, so exactly. I'm not surprised to hear. You know, th- that's actually news to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know that about you. Yeah, that was how. That was, you know, while I was still home brewing early before I even thought of getting into uh, into brewing, I was working in the online uh, world, uh, working for websites and stuff. So I started this website called Sustain a Brew. That was uh, really focused on finding out what breweries and people were doing that were, was kind of sustainable, green, kind of in nature within that that kind of area, uh, within the the brewing and, and that that world. Um, and you know, I'd always I got a degree in sustainable uh, design, um, so it's always been a, a, a passion of mine, and. 
and so strong road brewery uh that part of it that locale the, the local part the using the local ingredients is just an offshoot of that it's just a natural progression um and it's so again so it, if if possible you use all new york state ingredients in if your possible beers. yeah yeah i i mean unless there are malts that i need like chocolate malts or some of the roasted malts that just aren't necessarily developed just yet uh, in the New York market, then everything, all my base malts will be uh, New York. Pretty much all of my hops are going to be New York. Uh, some of the other malts will be. And then all the, any type of herb or fruit or um, seasonal ingredient that we can get will be New York grown. Let's talk about the beer that you poured for us. Yeah. It, it tastes alive. It tastes alive. It's, it's a living yeah. Ale? Yeah. I mean, it, this is this is not. It's a. It's just a, a kegged beer. Um, you know, living ales is is something that is is become a. Uh, you know, we're we're focusing on, on local beer. Um, so, you know, what this is is a um, kind of stout with a good amount of chocolate malt and then uh, fresh raspberries uh, from from Kinsella Farms out on Long Island. Are the raspberries um, from Kinsella? Yeah. Uh, the hops also? Did, did you give some yeah. to our in-studio guest, Daniel? You got uh, some? No. All right. Yeah. Oh, you did. But it's, it's, it's pretty great. But what is Living Ales? I mean, I know... So Living Ales, I mean, it, it, there is the idea uh, that it is a... Um, that it's cask and bottle condition. But for me, it also goes beyond that in that the, the, the Living Ales is a way to talk about how we're supporting local farms and local ingredients and local agriculture so that our beers are helping preserve this this kind of heritage and this kind of... Uh, this just this 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 body of work from the you know uh, outside of New York City, just tons of farms and tons of land. So I want to help kind of work with all these farmers and create these beers that are you know helping preserve our countryside and our our history of a you know agricultural state. Um, so you know that's that's really a, a big part of it as well. Sure, so, that's the coolest thing I've heard in a totally long time, cool. man. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And I'm imagining almost like 100 percent of breweries starting up. They pretty much they get their price sheets. Mm. They go down the price sheets. They place their orders. They email it to someone. They get in their you know their grain, their hops, their yeast. Uh, whereas you really need to develop relationships yeah. with. Pretty much all of your suppliers, and yeah, I mean, I thought about how, like how much additional time that. that no, it is. Into. I mean, and I've already, I've, I've, um, you know, talked to Andrea quite a bit uh, over the years. I've met with the guys at Pioneer um, and New York Craft Malt. Um, I'm trying to, you know, it's it's not easy, so I'm trying to make it out to hot farms when I can, uh, and I've been in contact with uh, 25 of them or so at this point of the New York state hop farms and just trying to secure stuff. Like I, I eventually I want to make it out to every single farm that I use ideally on a yearly basis. You know, we'll see if that is uh, doable in terms of a small business owner trying to operate that. But um, I, you know, I, I, it is, it's an integral part of, of, of this, this kind of, living relationship is that that we have this relationship and that i am in contact seeing where the hops are grown seeing how they're you know treated and, and cared for and and what the the processing facilities are doing and what they're they're trying to accomplish on their own farm so you know it's it's it because for for me 
I am the end product of a lot of people's work. I am creating beer, and that is being you know consumed by the public. But there were maltsters, there were grain growers, there were uh, hop farmers, there were all these people that, that came before me that none of this would be possible if it wasn't for them. And so I am the kind of you know, figurehead for that, but they, like they are such an important part that I think it's, it's, you know, we must, you know, we got to pay respect to them. And part of the, part of my small thing is, you know, what I can do is I'm going to have, I'm going to try to have uh, talks at the brewery with uh, people, with farmers and showcase what they're doing and have, photos with little bios of, of the farmers that, that that are behind the beer so people can really see okay this is where their beer is coming from remember that next time you have a glass of beer where that yes yeah. it's, it's not just beer it's, no it's a livelihood of many many people that, exactly that go into wow. that yeah yeah that's what i love about beer it's yeah. it's so cool it's kind of and it tastes so good too on top <laughs> of all that I, I um one question i wanted to ask you is um so since you're you're working with pretty much exclusively New York, uh, your beers are going to depend on harvest then, uh, meaning like if there is a bad Cascade, New mm. York Cascade harvest, you won't have a Cascade beer. Right. So you must have thought of this. And I guess it's yeah, something guess you'll it's deal Gruitz with this year. As you go well, through. Yeah. What's yeah. that, Steve? It's Gruitz this year. Uh, yeah. hope, they, hope they grew dandelion. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and that's one of the things <laughs> – I have I have not made a lot of very hop specific beers. I make IPAs, I make pale ales, I make hop forward beers. I mean, my my beers tend to be more malt forward in general. But when I do do IPAs or something, it is kind of what 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 can I utilize right now? Like a farmers market, sort of like thing. a farmers yeah. market, and that even happens at home brew stores because not everyone's going to be. You don't always have Motueka or whatever. Oh, or, we always do. What oh, are you I'm talking sorry. about? Yes. Always. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I went there, and I also added another kind of tough benefit for myself, or not tough benefit, or whatever. I am only going to be trying to use whole leaf hops in my beers. Um, just another level of, wow. you know. It's a good thing you like yeah. cleaning. And, <laughs> and you only brew standing on one leg, too, uh, which yeah, is, yeah. yeah. That's With one be, arm behind my yeah, back, yeah. You just, can do yeah, that. It's... I just yeah, part of that is going back to the processing. I like to have them kind of as uh, you know as fresh as possible to make the beers as as I guess unadulterated as possible. That's awesome, man. This is so cool, man. Mr. <laughs> Living Ales himself. I love this. <laughs> hey, we're gonna be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Dude. Hi, this is Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. And you know, I remember my very first show, December 2009. Ooh, it was a cold winter. 
And my first guest was William Grimes from the New York Times. Now, the one specific I had to tell him was wear a hat, gloves, and a warm coat because our studio had no heat. We had no heat in the winter. We had no air conditioning in the summertime. It was rough going, but we were a startup and we had a good show regardless of the fact that we could see our breath. So today we still have hurdles to climb over and the only way we can get there is with your help. So if you would please consider being a member and press that little beating heart button in the upper right hand corner to donate. It's going to help us have heat and electricity and air conditioning and really good sound with really great guests. Thanks for listening. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. What a great show, homebrew to probrew. And number one, we're debuting uh, Jason Saylor's Strongboat Brewery that's going to be live and legal very soon. (laughs) Um, Talk about our great Heritage Radio Network listeners. Uh, Danielle Mock is a listener who wrote in. She's on the show today. Danielle, you want to tell us, you said you and a bunch of your friends are listening to a lot of Heritage Radio Network shows. Why do you listen to the network and tell us some of the shows that you like? Hi, everybody out there. Um, why do I listen to the shows? I think I just, um, I'll, call, I'll say it, I'm a foodie. <laughs> um, but um, just, to, just to be more knowledgeable, and like you said before, Steve, just um, how you kind of want to find your niche of, niche of people that like share the same interests. And I think just searching around, poking around, it just kind of fell on um, Heritage Radio, and a number of the shows just kind of hit that for me. Um, but thanks for thanks for writing in. I know you listen to our show too. And did you have a question for, for Jason? Uh, yeah, I guess for all of you a little bit. Um, since you were a home brewer at once, um, I've never really gotten into home brewing. Just the act of drinking and liking craft beer. But um, we need that too. Um, yeah. But um, I was just curious if there's a particular recipe that one follows, or if you know you have wacky ideas i want to throw this in i want to throw those flavors in um that's a recipe right there okay so oh you're handing me this paper yeah that's okay. a recipe so Jason. So i have to read all right brewing brewing beer is more like uh baking than it is like cooking so you do need to have a recipe when you start for sure uh you, you can throw a little bit of this a little bit of that but it's it's uh, there's a lot of chemical reactions that occur that you need to know what they are before you you go and actually do it so um just saying, hey, I'm going to throw this in here and see what happens. The Do you feel works. that way, Jason? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty pretty meticulous about taking notes on good on questions and um, and recording everything that that I put in and the mounts. Um, so, you know, I'm I'm you know much more in that line rather than a cook of just throwing things in. Um, well, I think what you say, do, do you start with a recipe or do you just play around and then backtrack and try to make it a recipe? In, 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 my, in my mind, it is a finished product that uh, I come up with and then I backtrack and figure out what I want, how, how that will come about. Um, but that's my personal way. What, what about for you, Stephen? You, you have so many recipes with the, the yeah. Brooklyn, we, I mean, I definitely approach kids. approach beer as food and brewing like cooking. Um, it can be a science project if 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 you <laughs> like, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, there's some like general guidelines to putting together a recipe. You have your your grain bill, so you're going to have a base malt, which will give you most of your alcohol. 
uh, and the kind of the base of your beer, you'll have caramel malts, which will give you some sweetness, mm. and you'll have roasted malts if you're, you know, like the stout we just had. And then you have hops that'll give you bitterness or aroma or, you know, bold. Stephen, what's the latest book you wrote? Uh, sure, yeah. We wrote, um, the latest book was Make Some Beer. Um, some I love that Small book. batch brewing from uh, Brooklyn and Bamberg. And so, yeah, we interviewed 30-some-odd uh, breweries uh, across North America and Europe. And so let, let, Let's backtrack. Yeah. So... so Jason, we got a lot of things out of you that I didn't know about you. Um, first, you're all New York State ingredients, yeah. but we're still talking about this living ales. Yeah. So let, let's go a little deeper. What type of beers would have live yeast in them in general? In general, mainly what you're going to find live uh, yeast would be cask ale, uh, which tend to be like cask conditioned, cask conditioned ales, real ales, um, or bottle conditioned, and usually, I mean. You know, kind of traditionally, you were finding those in uh, Belgian beers. Whoa. Nice, Steve. Uh, as well as that dramatic. No, it was it was good. It was a nice point. Um, and and uh, the, the 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 cask conditioned ales was uh, traditionally uh, British. Um, you know, British ales, but that has definitely changed and moved uh, to other. Other breweries, um, you know, other you know, other countries, kind of really focusing on on those things. So everyone's, you know, pretty much everyone's doing uh, bottle and. Uh, so let's back. So I, yeah, I, that sounds great because I, I know you were saying you you wanted to make those beers in your brewery, but you can't you can't be a hundred percent cask. It's it, so we we were brewery. originally looking to do a hundred percent cask uh, ale, um, and we were we are no longer doing that just in terms of. The market, uh, it's you know, it's it's tough in New York uh, and kind of I think the U.S. in general. There are a number of cask specific breweries, um, but it's it's few and far between um, over the four thousand uh, that are currently in the U.S. This ain't the U.S. This is Brooklyn. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. The four thousand that are in Brooklyn. So, the four thousand there could be. Um, so we're you know. I, so we're focusing. Uh, we are we are going to have both cask and keg uh, conditioned uh, keg conditioned beer, and we're just really focusing on you know strong rope having those local New York State grown ingredients. So to, you're saying when, when you guys open, it's going to be worth everyone's time to go there to your tasting room. And see what you guys are doing. Well, of course, Jim. Yeah, man. <laughs> and John, have you done anything with cask conditioned? Yeah, or bottle done, conditioned uh, well, projects. Uh, Homebrew beer is basically uh, bottle conditioned all the time, uh, unless you have a kegging system. Mm-hmm. And most homebrewers don't filter, so all homebrew has yeast in it. So all uh, beer is alive, and I tell my customers this all the time. That's why it, um, you have to kind of keep it cool after mm-hmm. it's uh, packaged. Because you got some yeasties in there, and you want to keep them dormant as much as possible until you yeah. drink them. Uh, one thing about unfiltered beer, it's high in B vitamins. Uh, it's high in vitamins. Uh, <laughs> and it is a living uh, product. It's it's an amazing, amazing so thing. So somehow when I hear living ales, I don't know what that means. When you say beer is alive, it is. I get that. Yeah. There's, there's, uh, there's Change, you have to work on your website, um, Jason. Yeah, we're going to take Say beer is alive. Hey, Jimmy, I wanted to mention I got a, a, a late birthday present for you. I was in a. I went to a brewery in Virginia called Devil's Backbone. Do you know Devil's Backbone Brewery? I've heard of them. Yeah, I got you one of their. Vietnam really? Wow, that's for you. We'll pop so, that up. Happy, okay. happy late birthday. Thanks, man. <laughs> and you know, Jimmy's number forty three celebrated ten year anniversary. That's right. On, on, on the too. note of of all New York State, what you're doing, Jason, you're mm. blowing me away because we've been talking about this for years. Thank you for making that commitment. Yeah. Um, coming up, it's our annual event that we host. 
New York City Brewer's Choice, which to me is the featured event of the New York City Beer Week. We've got a date. It's Wednesday, February 24th. Tickets will be live next week. And I do hope that you'll be there with one of your all New York State beers. Of course. And Kelly Taylor led the way. There'll be at least 10 New York City brewers making smash beers, state malt and state hop beers. Last year, John, you brought out a bunch of home brewers. Yeah, it was fantastic. And we're going to have a bunch of out-of-state brewers as well. So just put it on your map. Next week, tickets are going live. And uh, with guys like you, Jason, I think it's going to be the best one ever. Sounds good. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Stephen, we're tasting one of your beers too. Is this a beer that that you, that's a recipe kit that you're, you're doing, or this is just like a fun home beer? Uh, that no, you this made? is actually made by someone on our staff, uh, Steve Volano. It's a saison with wakatu hops. Um, so we really love when everyone we know makes a ton of beer and they bring it to the office, and we. All I get will to say, I think I think you have one of the most interesting beer related companies. Thank you. Yeah, we, I think we approach approach beer and brewing from a kind of different different perspective, um, and we. You know, we like people to kind of remember where beer came from, and that brewing used to just be part of keeping the house. Like people made beer in their kitchen, like it was just. What well, you're selling you're selling kits in China now, aren't you? <laughs> we are, yeah. yeah you should be the sponsor of the show, man. <laughs> just sent just sent a few to Sing- uh, Singapore. You should sponsor so. the whole network, man. Come on, <laughs> I tell I'm, you. I'm teasing you, but it's it's great to see a successful company that started in Brooklyn, and you really are. You're selling, and mostly selling direct, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, we work with great like stores, independent stores across the world um, as well, and yeah, we just want to get people excited. And you know, we we had uh, someone wrote us a message on Instagram the other day saying they went did a beer tour of Florida. They went to fourteen breweries, and ten of them started with our kit, which is just like an amazing thing for us to hear. So, um, talk about a yeah. uh, home brewer to pro brewer, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, this is a great way because you know we want you to start with. We think you should start brewing with all grain. That's just our personal preference. It's what breweries do. You know, we don't really like extract, but you know, we do whatever you like uh, <laughs> that makes you happy. But, Talk about you know home brewers. So, John, I know you've been a big fan of uh, John Palmer, who's yeah. an author. Tell us about mine. John Palmer. Uh, John Palmer wrote uh, the book How to Brew, and he is. Along with Charlie Papazian, basically the gurus of homebrewing, and uh, just a great guy. Uh, he just recently wa- wrote a book on water, and he's a real ambassador for homebrewing. Uh, really super, super nice guy. And like I said, he wants Charlie to be <laughs> to get the Nobel Peace Prize, which I think he deserves it. So that'll be. And awesome. the other project you're working on, the, the ALS project. So we have it's ALS for ALS. Uh, there's only 50 tickets available. Go on bitterandesters.com. It's October 29th. I brought an ounce of HBC 40, uh, 438 because I'm a bastard. I didn't bring two. So this is for either Jason or Steven. You guys have to fight it out to the death. I'm going to throw it on the floor, and whoever gets it first wins. <laughs> but how, how uh, can anyway. other people nationally? Learn more about this Ales for ALS. Go to alesforals.com. Um, That's easy. It's all over the uh, entire country. Uh, that all different breweries are, are doing stuff for it. Uh, we just we had heard about it from our, our distributor that this whole uh, experimental hop thing was coming, and I said, you know, this is a perfect uh, way to do a tasting and get and get the community involved. We lo- really love working with uh, people who are home brewers and stuff. Jason, um, you know, hopefully in, in a month or two, yep. you guys will be live. You'll have your tap room open. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us about another another beer style that you'll be making that we can try. Yeah, I mean, we'll be making. <clears throat> so we're really focusing on making uh, American style ales. Um, so we'll be doing pales, browns, stouts, uh, IPAs. Um, the the whole idea for what we're trying to do is to create clean beers that showcases the ingredients. So. Um, clean fermented beers, I should say, uh, sh- sh- showcasing the ingredients. So we're really focusing on on having those malts and those hops and those 
fruit and herb notes coming through um, so that people can try them. Um, so you won't really find many Belgians or sours or um, brets or lagers. You know, we really want those, you know, these fresh ingredients to, to be the highlight of the, the, the beer experience. But in, in that, that being said, we'll be doing everything from, you know, uh, uh, 3%, 3.5% kind of, you know, small bitters to, you know, big barley wines and strong ales and, uh, you know, imperial wheat wines brewed with peaches and rosemary. So, so like, Strong Road Brewery. Strong Road Brewery. Gowanus, Brooklyn. Gowanus, looking forward to you. Yeah. And I want to give one shout out in terms of who's covering, you know, local small breweries. I think right now Brooklyn Magazine uh, with right. both Nico oh, Primitis and Meredith oh, yeah. Heil, yep. they're doing a great – I actually wrote a great article they wrote about you. Yeah. I think really they're, they're writing some of They've the best awesome. stuff about New York City breweries right now. Yeah. And then uh, jumping ahead for events, by the time any of you listen to this show, uh, we'll be upon Cider Week New York City, which is November 6th to November it's late this year. 15th. And they've moved it because of the harvest time for, for cider makers. I know at Jimmy's number 43, we're doing a lot of things. But what are you doing at Bitters and Esters for Cider uh, Week? This is the second year that we're doing this with Joy and Jeremy from uh, Proper Cider. They're bringing their crusher and their presses to Bitter and Esters. And we're We'll have a sign-up sheet on the, uh, the website, and you can bring a bushel, uh, up to two bushels of apples, and we'll crush and press them for free. That's going to be uh, ele- November 10th and 11th uh, from 5 to 8. We had to do it during the week. Last, uh, That's going to be brilliant. During the weekend, and then the, so the, the one thing I'm going to pitch for, be awesome. uh, we're doing a thing called Cider Salon. It's, it's at Jimmy's number 43, but, but it's not about that. It's really that you're going to have all day cider makers, you know, writers, nice. panels and talks. All afternoon, uh, Saturday, November fourteenth, Cider Salon, Jimmy's number forty three. It might cost ten bucks, it might be free, but you want to come and meet all the cider makers and writers and, and listen to panels and lectures. We're doing it, it's gonna be be a wild day. So lots coming up and you know what we're doing beer and cider on the show. So I'd like to thank our sponsors at Union Beer Distributors helped to bring this podcast to you tonight. Thanks to John, Jason, Stephen, and Danielle for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Justin Kennedy and Maggie Seiden, and our engineer, Jack Inslee. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>